Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Very good morning to you. My name's Steph. I'm one of the pastors here. And we finished our series in um, 1 Thessalonians. So we're going to do a couple of standalone Advent sermons this week, next week. If you want to turn, if you've got a Bible with you to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Verse 26, if you haven't got a Bible with you, the words will come up on the screen, so you can follow it on the screen there. We're going to just read the story about when um, Mary becomes pregnant and visits her relative Elizabeth and what goes on when they meet, when they meet together. I've got a, a bit of a backdrop first so you understand about Elizabeth and Zechariah. They're very old, a lovely couple, righteous couple, godly couple. He's a priest, but they can't have children. Um, and back in the day, if you were married and you couldn't have children, that was extremely shameful and it would have carried with it all kinds of connotations and all kinds of uh, negative stuff going on there. Um, and then one day uh, when Zechariah was on duty in the temple, he's visited by the angel Gabriel while he's on duty in the temple. No one else is in there. And um, angel Gabriel says that you're gonna, your wife's going to become pregnant. At this point, they're both really old. Your wife's going to become pregnant and um, you know, she's going to give birth. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. So John the Baptist, in case you don't know the story, is they, who she gives birth to. Um, but, but Zachariah, who's having the vision, he, well, he doesn't respond too well. He, should, he says, how can I know this will be? And Gabriel says, well, my name's Gabriel. And I spend my time standing in the presence of God. And I've just come and told you. As a result of which, you're not going to be able to talk for a little while. Teach you not to be so unbelieving. <clears throat> the first thing he says is when the baby's born and they're all going, what shall, it, what shall the baby be called? And Zechariah says, John. And they're all going, John, but there's no one in your family called John. Why were you going to call him John? And then they look to Zechariah. And I think he, write, you know, he writes, his name is John. And in that moment, he's... His tongue is loose and he can speak again. Anyway, at this point in the story, Elizabeth is six months pregnant around this sort of time. So um, Luke 1 verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, again, same angel, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was? Well done. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Amazing thing. And blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he's sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Father, we thank you for this amazing story. Thank you that it's full of your activity. Full of supernatural activity. Such a key moment in salvation history. John the Baptist. Father, your son, the word becoming flesh, extraordinary moment. But we also thank you, Lord, that we live in the days of the poured out spirit. And I pray, Lord, just make your presence known among us. For those who are sitting here who don't know you personally, make yourself known to them. For those who do, but they need to meet you freshly, make yourself known to them. I ask, Father, in Jesus' name, move among us by your spirit. Oh, Lord, touch us fresh. We need you so much, Lord. We need you so much. And if you know you need the Lord, then why don't we say amen really loudly? Amen, amen, amen. I'm going to just close this door. Is that that's okay? Okay, we're going to look at particularly verses... Um, 34 to 45, which is where, um, 39, sorry, 39 to 45, which is where Mary walks in and Elizabeth's greeting and the things that Elizabeth says to Mary. This idea, three times she uses the word of Mary. What is that word? Blessed. So, so you know, so she comes in and um, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is she who believed there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken of from the Lord. Blessed are you among women we're going to look at. Blessed is the fruit of your womb we're going to look at. And blessed is she who believed that what God said he would do. Amen. Blessed are you among women. Seems like a very appropriate setting to talk about the Blessed Virgin Mary. We're in a Catholic school. Protestants get nervous about Mary. Am I right? Protestants get really nervous. If you're not even familiar with what a Protestant is, a Protestant is a Christian. Basically, around about this, uh, the, the 1500s, there was something called the Reformation, whereby at that point, particularly in Western Europe, the church had become very corrupt in, in very many ways in terms of its practices around money and things. But also some of the beliefs had gone really sideways uh, to the extent that the gospel really was... Were, people didn't hear the gospel anymore. It was just kind of... It just, there was so much other stuff around it. It drowned out the gospel and even, even the, the, the plain teaching of the gospel that, that what we could not do, God has done for us in Jesus, that we might be saved as a gift. Hallelujah. 
Yeah, that, that simple message of that gospel had been obscured through all kinds of other ideas. And, um, that's, and so a Protestant is a, is a Christian, really, that, that believes in the simple gospel and believes in the authority of Scripture. Um, I'll just say a few things about how the Catholic Church works, just so you understand, not in a kind of a, uh, in a way that's kind of coming out of a, a critical spirit or anything, or a divisive spirit, not at all. There are some wonderful believers in the Catholic Church. But it's just, just so you understand kind of how, how it works, because I'm wanting to talk about the Blessed Mary, and I don't want to feel nervous while I'm doing it. Okay, so I'm going to explain how this thing works because I, one of my observations is, is that a lot of people don't care about history or church history. And frighteningly, some Christians don't even don't seem to be too bothered about theology. This kind of idea that if well, if you all just get on the right, everything will be okay. Fortunately, it's not as straightforward as that. That it's really important to know the truth because it's the truth that does what. So the content of what you believe and to the depth that you believe that specific content that impacts your entire life through to eternity. So it's really important that we understand this just so we get on clear ground and we understand uh, what we are about. How, so the way that, that the Catholic Church works is very different from the way, in so many ways, but in terms of how, how they, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm still coming through a bit of a... A bit of a cough and cold thing. Excuse me for strange noises I make next half an hour. Um, but uh, the, way they, the way they decide what is true and what isn't, the way they believe, the way that they land on what is Christian truth and what isn't is very different. Obviously, they believe in Scripture, but they also believe in the authority of the traditions of the church. And they also have someone called the Pope. We don't have the Pope. They have the Pope. That's a big deal. Why? Well, because they believe that, that, that right from Peter that there's been something called apostolic succession. And the idea is, is that they can trace the modern-day pope right back to Peter, that he would have appointed the bishop of Rome, who would have appointed the next bishop of Rome, which in the end we now call the pope. It's the bishop of Rome, and all the, all the way through. And so they, they give or they ascribe to the pope the same authority of the apostle Peter. That's why the pope can change now, it's more complex than that. It involves pr complex procedures and things. But essentially, the Pope can, has got authority to, to establish doctrine on the same level of authority as Scripture. Okay, so you'll notice that this current Pope, who I'm sure is a really, really nice guy, but actually is making some very, very significant changes. Um, uh, and is changing some of the best bits about Catholicism. And not fiddling with the bad bits, fiddling with the good bits. So it's an interesting time. So it's important that we understand this and then we understand how this works. Now, what do the Catholics believe about Mary? Well, a few things that we don't. So I can get on and talk about her being blessed. Okay? So we do not believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary. Catholics do. So Catholics believe that it's not just that she was a virgin before she conceived Jesus, but she was perpetually a virgin. That's because Catholics are a bit funny around sex. Okay? They get a bit funny, a bit guilty around sex. And they, they, there's, there's been quite a lot of funny teaching over the centuries about sex and its association with sin. And so the thought of Mary um, not being a virgin, it kind, of, it kind of casts some sort of doubt on her holiness and the like. So they believe that, whereas the Bible says of Joseph, that he didn't know her until Jesus was born. And then we read, don't we, of Jesus' brothers and sisters in the Gospels. So we don't believe that. Um, the Catholics believe that Mary was conceived without original sin. I don't know if you knew that. So they believe that they call the Immaculate Conception. So that she wasn't born with a sinful nature like you and me, but she, she didn't have that at all. So that hence 
probably why God chose her. We don't believe that. They believe in the assumption of Mary, which means that she, that, that, that she ascended bodily to, um, at the end. She didn't, she's not, you know, her body isn't wasting away in a grave along with everyone else's, but that she ascended. We don't believe that. There's because nothing about that in the Bible to suggest that. They believe that she has a mediatory role in heaven. We don't believe that. We believe the Bible, well, the Bible does say. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. So there's things they believe. We say, no, we, don't, we can't ascribe to that. Okay? But as a result of not ascribing to those things, yeah, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. She's a blessed woman, amen? amen. A very, very blessed, well, wonderful woman, and we want to just kind of honour her today. She, Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women. Well, how so? It's a really interesting question. How so? Because actually... This angel coming to Mary, this virgin, and saying you're going to get pregnant, caused her a whole heap of trouble. Like, you th- if you're sitting here, you're thinking, I don't believe this story about virgin. You know, I don't believe that. Well, neither did her fiance. <laughs> okay? Yeah? He was like, oh, tell us another one. Yeah? That was his response. They were engaged. And in those days, once you're engaged, back then it was basically as good as you were bound. And we're told, because he was an honourable man, he was going to put her away in private. He wasn't going to make a big fuss, he wasn't going to disgrace her, but he's like, there's no way I'm marrying you. You're pregnant. And it wasn't me. <laughs> but then this angel came, Joseph, and he said, no. He wasn't having it. Right? So if you're thinking, I'm not going to have this, okay, all right, you're running along, you're good, you're with Joseph. Okay? It's, reason. it's an unreasonable story. Then he had this dream. He had a dream at night, so vivid, so real, he couldn't argue with it. The angel said to him in a dream, don't worry, she's not been fooling around. This is from God. And it so convinced him that he said, okay, fine, I will take her to be, to be mine. With all of the disgrace involved in that. All of the shame involved in that. Because either he'd been messing around with her, or she'd been, she'd been playing away. Either way, would not have gone down well in a conservative Jewish society. Do you see? So, blessed are you. It's a bit inconvenient. It's not a convenient thing. So we might have to redefine how we understand being blessed of God today as we think about this. It's important that we think carefully about it. So she nearly paid very, very dearly, actually, in that sense. Not only that, Jesus probably lived with the stigma of being illegitimate through to his adulthood. There are little comments you pick up in some of his interactions with the Pharisees. John 8, verse 31, 41, he's having a conversation with some Jews that seem to have believed in him, and then, then they kind of you know, start saying some pretty outrageous things. And at one point they say to him, they said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. That was a little, that was a little, we weren't born of sexual immorality. Unlike you. He lived with that. He lived with that. A lot of stigma. Not only that, we're told that when, when, they, when they presented Jesus when he was eight days old for circumcision, Anna the prophetess and Simeon came and, and they said to her, they said, you're, this, this one is set for the fall and rise of many and you're very, your own soul is going to be pierced. She in one sense, you know, she died before, her child died before her. That's a, that's a hard thing for any parent to have to live with. 
Not only that, she watched his violent death. Blessed are you. Really? How does this work? Because you say, come to Jesus, he'll bless you. You might think, oh, I want to think twice about this. Good. Jesus said, think twice about it. Count the cost. Work out what this means. Be careful when you ask for God's blessing. So how is she blessed? How is she blessed? She lived with stigma. She nearly lost her her husband to be. She had to watch her own son die a violent death. How is this woman blessed? Well, I think we can say this. That the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him, that he might strengthen them. You have found favour in God's sight. God says, I've seen you. No one knows you. I know you. Maybe no one's seen you. I see you. And I choose you for this. And no matter how hard it is, you are blessed. Why? Because even though God can do whatever he wants and could have just produced Jesus out of thin air, we believe in something called instrumentality, whereby God will use people in a very meaningful way to fulfill his purposes. And because we, we, it's so important that Jesus isn't some sort of semi-human, some sort of phantom, some sort of looks human, but, you know, oh no, he's gliding, you know, he's hovering or, you know, but, but you know, it's so important to what Jesus says, look, put your, put, put, your, put your finger in my side, you know, it's why he ate with them. The whole thing of Jesus being human is absolutely vital because through all that he does as a human, guess what he does? He rescues humanity. Yeah, he, he, as a human, he enters into the depths and the darkest places of humanity as one of us, yet without sin. Tempted in every way, yet without sin, but fully human. He enters in and then through the darkest judgment, sin in the flesh, human sin is judged in him. Why? Because he's human and he's getting judged on the cross. And so all of the stuff, all of the, all of the, all of the curse that comes to humanity because of our sin is dealt with in him because he's really human. And then he rises from the dead as the first fruits of a humanity that will physically rise from the dead and live in a physical new heavens and a new earth forever. Amen. It's a human physical thing. That's why it's so important that we understand that. I don't know the, why I'm making that point. I'm so sorry. What's that got to do with Mary? She's blessed. I'm, thank you. I'd remembered that bit. That, yeah, essentially that, that you have been chosen to, to carry this physical one. And that he will grow inside of you. And you will give birth to him and you will nurture him. Because he'll need feeding. And he'll need changing because he's human. He's really human. He'll need comforting. He's a baby. He's human. Amazing. So here's the point. When God calls you, when God chooses you, when God blesses you, it does not make your life easy. But boy, oh boy, does it make it meaningful. Because you're caught up in the purpose of God. You're caught up in the story of God. You're caught up in what God is doing. You, you get to play a part in what God is doing. And no one ever might ever know your name like we know Mary's name, but God knows your name. And the Bible says that that which he entrusts to us is able to protect and on the final day will reward us for what we've done. Hallelujah. So I want to encourage you 
not to look dimly on the blessing of God, but to look soberly on the blessing of God and recognize that there may well be stigma, there may well be inconvenience, there may well be pain, but there's always transcendent eternal meaning. And that makes it more than worthwhile. The thought of getting to the end of an easy life and then going, what was all that about? is terrifying. I personally find that a terrifying thought. I don't like hardship because I'm human. But if it's packed with meaning, I think I can handle it. I think I can handle it. But I need to know. I need to understand the meaning. Number two, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. That little one inside of you, he is the blessed one. He is the one who it's all about. He's the shepherd king. Promised, he's the one promised from Genesis 3, from the darkest moment in human history where it all spirals, it all goes wrong, everything's falling apart. It's like the epicenter of every disaster you've ever seen or read about or experienced yourself. It's all there in Genesis 3. That's the earthquake bang there where we decide to go our own way. God's bringing judgment. God's saying it's all going to be, you've chosen your own way. This is how it's going to be. It's horrible. And in the midst of all of that darkness, this amazing promise breaks in. When, he, when he's speaking to Eve and he's speaking to Eve about a relationship with a serpent who represents Satan and this, kind of, this whole kind of idea of kind of strife and uh, spiritual warfare, the realities of that. And, he said, you know, and, and the serpent will, will strike your heel. Uh, I'm talking about Eve's seed. The serpent will strike his heel, but he will stamp on his head. And at the cross, the Bible says Jesus disarmed the principalities and the powers. He was wounded. Yeah, he really died. Right, so in case you've, in case you've gone for the swoon theory. He really died. Okay. But, but because he rose from the dead victorious, it's, you look back and you go, he was wounded. But someone's head got stamped on in that moment. And he will never recover. And Satan's destiny is sealed. He is doomed. We're told that he's doing his best on the earth to cause havoc because he knows his time is short, his wrath is great, but his destiny is settled. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is victorious. Hallelujah. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, Mary. This is the, this is the great king promised in Genesis 49. This is, the, this is the son of David promised in 2 Samuel 7. All of the promises of God come together in this one, this Jesus. And millions have found the reality of a new life in this blessed one, a new life in this Jesus through putting faith into him. Listen, you're not born into Christianity and you're not forced into Christianity. You're drawn into Christianity. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. No one's born in. You might be born to a Christian family. Praise God if you are. It's a wonderful blessing, but it won't make you a Christian. Okay? Because God doesn't have any what? Grandchildren. Right? <laughs> but my mum's a but my dad's a pastor. Makes no difference. No one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. But neither can you be forced into Christianity. No one can force anyone. You will never get if, if anyone ever tries to force you into Christianity in this church, please come and tell me so we can tell them off. Okay? You cannot force someone into Christianity. You can tell them the truth. You can plead and urge them to take it seriously. You can, you can pray your heart out for them. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's between them and God. And we honour that. 
But I love it when Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. He is the blessed one. And if you call out on his name today, he will save you. And you will know for sure that you are born again, a new creation, and that nothing can ever be the same again. You will be blessed. But as I said in point one, it might be the start of a bit of an inconvenient season. Some people won't get it. Some people in your life that don't know the Lord, they won't get it. Because when he comes, he comes as Lord. He becomes your first love. He's number one. Don't add him on. Never ever try to add Jesus onto anything that you're doing. He comes as foundation. You build your entire life on him. Start over. It's radical. but It's wonderful. And you never regret it. The Bible says that he will ne- those who put their trust in him will not be ashamed. You won't end up with a egg on your face. I'll tell you a story, a little story. Ready for a little story? All right. I'll try and squeeze it in. <clears throat> um, some friends of mine, years ago, believers, they, uh, they wanted to go on a holiday. They had no money at all. Nothing. Except for the fuel to get down there. And they were staying in someone's house for free. They'd, they'd gone away on holiday. It's what you do. When, you, when you're a pastor in London, you try and find another pastor who's got a big house. <laughs> so you can go on a free holiday with your kids. That's what you do. So they went down to Hastings to it. And um, I knew they were going. And they said, look, we're totally relying on God here. We ain't got any money at all. We just literally got the fuel in the van. We're relying on God, but we feel peace. God's with us in it. Okay, fine. So they went along there. I think they arrived on a Saturday hoping that people had left the fridge full. They opened the fridge, nothing in there. Got four kids or five kids at this point. Right, they say, right. So next morning they say, it's church tomorrow. And they said, literally said to the kids, listen, kids, have a load of biscuits after the service. <laughs> We've got nothing. These are good friends of ours. I know they've got nothing. Um, he rang me Sunday afternoon. He went, I've got egg on my face. He went, I've got egg on my face. I said, we, we thought we trust in God, but it's bad. I start panicking, trying to start to write checks and all that, you know. And I got a call about that two hours later. And he said, we, we, gathered, the, we gathered the kids. Because they hadn't told the kids. <laughs> kids were little. We gathered the kids. We explained, look, this is what's happened. And we don't know what to do. Didn't have the fuel to get home. Just pray. They prayed. They just prayed. As they're praying, the letterbox goes. And someone who had been at church with them that morning had felt stirred to bless them financially. But kind of ummed and ahed a bit about it for a few hours. <laughs> if only they knew. And then this wonderful moment of them praying as a family that, and, and the, the sort of faith that put in the kids. Can you imagine? God comes through. Now that's not a gospel. It's not a gospel problem. It's not saying, you know, Believe in Jesus and you'll go to, the, go to the tropics for free. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. These people had built their life on Christ and were totally sold out for him. But it was something that they felt. No, no, God's leading us into this. You, you hit moments where you think, I think I've got egg on my face. I tell you, God is faithful. God is faithful and he will back up his word. Final point. I love this. Blessed is she who believed there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. It's wonderful, isn't it? Blessed is she who believed there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. (laughs) She's contrasted here to Zechariah, the husband. Elizabeth had a very quiet pregnancy, right? Because her husband had been struck dumb. (laughs) Couldn't say anything. I don't know if that was a blessing or not for her. We'll find out in heaven, right? But... Right, struck down. Because he said, it was really subtle. He said, how can I know this will be? Gabriel said, what are you talking about? I'm an angel. 
Mary says, how will this be? Because I'm a virgin. That's a really good question. It's just been told, she's just been told you're going to be pregnant. right? It's a very reasonable question. But it's more deep than it looks. Because on one level, it's just reasonable. It's just going, flip, how? But not only that, you see, she was testing whether this was really a word from God or not. Because if the angel had said, oh, go and sleep with a Roman soldier or whatever. See, they were taught in Deuteronomy how to test prophecy. How to test whether someone, I've had a dream, I've heard from God. How to, how you test it? You test it against the word. You test it against scripture. And if anyone ever brings something, and no matter how, how many somersaults they do first, and how nice voice they sing it in, and what nice dress they're wearing, if they're telling you something that is contrary to scripture, it's not from the Holy Spirit. Because God will not contradict himself. Right, so she's going, okay, yeah, how's it going to happen? Because I'll tell you, if that angel had said, started saying immoral, ungodly stuff, she would have said, you get out of here. I'm not having this, this is, this is demonic. Right? But he says, okay, God, God's got it. It's a mysterious thing. Okay, so I'm not going to have to do anything inappropriate. So she's, 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 she believed, but she tested. Sometimes we're not good at testing. Is this from God? She's testing, she's weighing. And then when it, when it gets it, she then she tests it and then she yields. Once she's tested it, she yields to God's activity. She gave up that control. She, okay, let it, be, let it be done to me according to your word. I mean, you know, kind of what then happened is, you know, it's not gone into because it's so sacred. It's so, you don't, need, you don't need to know that. But in her heart, she went, all right. I don't know what the implications, I don't know what Joseph's going to think, I don't know what my parents are going to think, I don't know if anyone's going to believe my story, but let it be done to me according to your word. That's extraordinary. Because that's a giving up of control, isn't it? That's a giving up of control. And so many people that I sit down with pastorally that are struggling or finding it hard, it comes to this issue of control. Things happen in life or... Circumstances work out and suddenly this sense of control or what I thought was going to happen or how I thought this or that, it's not, it's not adding up anymore. And it can create this panic. Just, just, just look at Mary. This is what blessed looks like, where you go, Whew, I don't know what's ahead, but let it be done to me according to your word. That's an amazing thing. And as I was preparing this, I'd love to be able to end with a bit of a time to response. To respond because... God spoke to her, and she, what did she do? She um, believed there would be a fulfillment. And uh, some of you here today, I just feel it would be great to be able to, we've got a load of people in the church that are prophetically gifted, that hear from God. Hear from God, wonderful things, beautiful things. Um, many, many of you have been used by God in that way. You know, The Holy Spirit's been poured out, and that's just normal. That's, that's, that's what we do. We build, we build our life on the direction of God. Okay? We test it, we weigh it. When we know it's God, we move on it. The whole reason our family lives in North London and not South London is because God spoke to us prophetically. Okay? And trust me, that's a big jump. <laughs> yeah? Left, all for, left, left familiarity, left what looked like was going to be, okay, it was, nothing was going wrong. God spoke. Some of you have made the most radical and extraordinary decisions in your life because God spoke. And some of you today, you need to hear from God so you can engage with something prophetic that is sound and tested and right 
lines up with scripture, but it's something that God has particularly spoken to you. It's really important. Paul talks to Timothy. He talks to him about the prophecies made over him that with them you'll be able to wage a good warfare. What a fascinating phrase. There's been prophecies made over you. People have spoken over your life under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, they are now become weapons for you. They, they are now things you can lift up and wield. That's 1 Timothy 1 verse something. You can wield against discouragement, against unbelief, against fear. Extraordinary. Some of you, you, you know, I, I need more prophetic promises in my life. We can ask the Lord for that for you today. Others of you, you just know you need to re-engage. It's not like you need a new word, but you know I, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm just, I'm, I've sort of stepped out. I'm on the edges looking in. <laughs> I, I, I'm not really in that place anymore. And I, I, just, I know that I need, to, I need to re-engage. I need to just say, yes, Lord, I'm going to believe your promises again. It's so that dynamic of living by faith, living, believing the promises of God, the promises made to all believers in the scripture and alongside that, prophetically made by the Spirit to us personally, that we, that we order and direct our lives by those things. Amen? It's a wonderful place. Really dynamic. Not always easy, but that's why we've, got, we've figured out that's not the point. Very dynamic. So if you just know that you need to, you need you you either need a bit more prophetic kind of input in your life. You need someone to be able to pray over you, and maybe just bring something encouraging. Maybe maybe even something directional. If you've got something directional for someone, just you know ask someone to be with you. So it's just kind of we can weigh it together, so the person doesn't feel trapped by it. You start talking about Eskimos and whatever. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> You know, we want to help people process things. It might be from the law, but we want to help people process it healthily and the like. Okay, so um, if you just know, yeah, I, I, I just feel I freshly would really appreciate God to just speak freshly, freshly into my life. Or I, I know what God said, but I need to I need to step in freshly. We're going to pray for you. We're going to get guys to pray for you and listen to God for you.